This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. Today, I'm talking to Becky O'Brien, a woman who stunned the audience at Britain's Got Talent in 2015 with her amazing singing voice, as well as her incredible story of leaving an abusive marriage. We talk about how she realized she was in a controlling relationship and made the decision to leave her husband, taking her five children with her. She's now a domestic violence campaigner and one of the most positive people I know. Welcome, Becky O'Brien. Thank you for having me, Katie. (laughs) I've been really um, interested in your story um, because obviously, as with these massive uh, shows like Britain's Got Talent, when when you go on, the public sort of learn a lot about your your personal life as well as your professional life. Yeah. Um, And that's what happened to you when you became a contestant on BGT. Yeah, so um, I was, my, you know, I thought about doing Britain's Got Talent and my oldest son, Jack, I've got five children, my oldest son, Jack, was the one who remembered me performing before I had the younger ones and Mm. before I'd given up. And he said to me, Mum, you always tell us to go and do things that we want to do and try and you've got to try and do it and show Simon Cowell how it's done. (laughs) And (laughs) I thought, always sung then. Yeah, yeah. I've always, I mean, my mum was a dancer and choreographer and my dad was a performer too. Okay. So I was literally brought up in theatre right I was a professional singer dancer and actress until I had my second son Uh and then I actually kind of took a break did bits and pieces but Mm -hmm. calmed down on the touring and the the what the type of work I was doing yeah um until I had my younger three and then had to give it up completely for the situation that I was in at the time so um but it was nice I think after having a few years out to be able to go back and just take the chance. Because you had that career break, although you were really confident and you'd been successful in that world, was it a nice additional confidence boost to know that you can still do it? And- I think so, and especially after going through the sort of relationship I'd come out of a few years beforehand, I really had lost my confidence. Mm-hmm. I was like the world's most confident person, mm-hmm. um, but somehow the person I was married to before managed to completely strip me of that. So the relationship you're referring to, you were you were a victim of domestic violence? Yes, it was domestic abuse and domestic violence. And um, at the time when I was first in it, I didn't recognise it as that. And Really? That's interesting. Yeah, I kind of thought, oh no, I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a victim like I've seen on a film and I've not I'm not that sort of person that I've seen on TV. I truly didn't recognise what I was going through because I just didn't really have any knowledge of it because I hadn't been through it before. When did it start to become traits of abuse? I think, if I'm honest, um, obviously with hindsight is a wonderful tool, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. You know. Um, but when I look back, the most obvious change was the day we got married. Okay. So, in so the, when you were like boyfriend and girlfriend, had things been fairly, I mean, I hate the word, but fairly normal? Yeah, up? I think um, 
what had happened was I had come out recently of, from a relationship that I'd been in for four years. Mm. I had my two older boys and I'd had two broken relationships and the life will that I was living wasn't what I thought life was going to be. Yeah, you know, which you have, happens to lots of us. Of course, yeah, because you yeah. have this idea when you're younger, you know, this fairy tale, fairy tale <laughs> idea that you're going to do certain things and meet certain people and it's going to be happily ever after. So I think, you know, I was running my theatre school, which was going really well, but that had kind of, that and the kids had become my focus and I'd just kind of gone into this sort of numb place and was feeling a bit like, you know, oh my God, now I've got the two kids and... Mm. I think I probably attached my own stigma to that as, well, now I'm a single mum and what's going to happen? Yeah. How hard as well, like a single mum running a theatre school on your own? Yeah. Like, that, like in the evening, the kids go to bed and you're on your own with no one to talk to. Like That's tough. And that's the thing. And I think at that point, I was quite vulnerable for that reason, emotionally. Were you lonely, do you think? Yeah, I think so. And without realising it, because I was surrounded by people all the time. Well, yeah, you can have loads of friends and be lonely, yeah. can't you? Yeah. And um, so I had been working... Um, with Stephen, my ex-husband, um, he worked for me as a ballet teacher. So we'd worked together and become friends through work and then he kind of presented as this knight in shining armour mm-hmm. um, who turned out to be an arsehole in tinfoil, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Good analogy. Yeah, definitely keep that in the edit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but he said all the right things, Yeah. Um, was, you know, very well presented. He used to be in the English National Ballet. So, right. so it's very he, romantic. It was. And yeah. he, you know, it was kind of this sweep me off my feet type thing, you know. And he didn't have kids and mm. he was very much, I want to take the kids on. And that seemed so appealing. That's a massive thing. You it know, was. Someone that will accept your children, exactly. love you as a family unit. And not just me and my children happened to be there. It was, yeah. you know, that the appeal of the whole thing. And um, within like a couple of months... Um, it was all just talk of, of marriage and this and that and the other. Mm. And even though at certain times, I guess my head was kind of like, oh, maybe this is fast. At the same time, there was this sense of, oh, there's some sort of security and yeah. something. And I feel like if you already had kids, right, you don't want to be messing around like, does he, doesn't he like me? If you're a certain age and, and stage in your life and you want to know, right, are you in it for the long run? Is this serious? Yes or no? There's something nice about that certainty, yeah. isn't there? And um He'd sort of talked about going off, you know, on our own to Gretna Green type thing. And then um, I was teaching at a summer school one day and he said, oh, I'm going to go off and see what dates are available to book a wedding. And when he came back, he'd booked it for three weeks later. Without asking you? Yeah. So he came back and said, this is the date it's happening. I was like, whoa, OK. But again, it was presented in not in a controlling way, but in this romantic surprise. Yeah, because that would be the ending to a film. Yeah, right. Yeah, in the movies. <laughs> that like, would. Ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> and that would be like the done. joke when you have coffee with your friends. Like, oh, my God, he's a bloke and he planned the wedding. How lucky am I? Yeah. You know, that would... Exactly. And it was also sort of, like I said, it was this, you know, wonderful person that was sort of offering everything and it wasn't that I needed someone to do things for me because that had never been it it was just I think you know that emotional need to have a partner in life I think yeah and if you were the doer maybe it was quite nice for somebody else to feel that somebody else was taking that role. role yeah um and then because it was all so rushed, we got married. It was very bizarre. We got married in um, a registry office and then had arranged with close friends and family, had arranged to have a meal at a restaurant called The Church, which was an old church. Right. And then um, we went to the meal and he said, oh, I've got a surprise for you. So we can't actually stay for the meal. Okay. We can have a drink and and everyone else can stay, but we can't stay. And again, I didn't know. Everything was being organised for me. Yeah. So we went off and stayed in this little village hotel for the night. Um, and 
we basically ate fish and chips and fell asleep. And the next day I made a bit of a joke and a bit of a comment about, well, that was a romantic wedding yeah, night. Yeah. And the next thing I knew, he got in the car and drove off without me. And at the time I thought, that's odd, but didn't grasp really yeah. why or what was going on. Um, I'd found out literally about three or four days before the wedding that I was pregnant. Okay, and you were happy. I was happy, yeah. but um, it was kind of also unexpected because yeah. he thought he well, he'd said to me he couldn't have children. Of course, yeah. So, so he um, said it was a medical issue or something. He, yeah, I don't, I can't even remember why he said it was, but he had made a definite point of it. And okay. um, it wasn't that I didn't want more children. It was just kind of a shock because mm. of that. Yeah. Um, and on the way home, I was quite upset because this sort of argument had started because of what was a joke initially. Mm. And um, he made a comment on the way driving home, well, it's all downhill from here. That was the morning after getting married, and at that time you might brush that off, but it's so telling. Yeah, now isn't it really it? is. And then I found out within a few days that I was having twins. Oh my goodness! Whose <laughs> so... side of the family is that from? Is that your genetic? Yeah, because um, they're fraternal. So, yeah. um, so then I had this horrendous pregnancy because you know I was just high premises the whole time and you're tiny I am yeah you know, tiny tiny so yeah. I was like a wee ball by the end of it yeah um but things just started escalating my mum used to refer to him as the boomerang because right. if there was any sort of disagreement or argument he would pack all his stuff and leave and then an hour or so later come back so he was quite volatile yeah um and I remember one time him punching the the wall where the staircase was and hurting his knuckles and him lying to his mum about how he hurt his hand. And I remember thinking, why wouldn't you just say you hit the wall? Mm. And that, for me, at the time, was something that I thought was odd. Mm-hmm. But still wasn't, it didn't sort of, it sounds bizarre, but it still didn't come together enough for me to realise. Well, because he didn't hit you. No. Then it just sort of escalated, escalated, and then eventually I went into early labour. And were you, because this had been very emotionally and mentally abusive, which I think is equally as bad yes, as physical, sometimes if not worse. Worse, yeah. Were, were you a mess at this point? Because yeah. you're, when you're pregnant, you you are a bit of a mess anyway because of hormones. But this guy had kept, like, keeping you dangling, putting you back down, pulling you up. Like, your anxiety levels must yeah, have Yeah, been... and I think that didn't help because I was so ill and so tired mm. just from the pregnancy alone to then have all this emotional stress put on top... Um, And the other sorts of things that were going on was he was starting to gradually manipulate the situation with my other two boys. So their dads were not allowed to come into the house anymore. They were only allowed to come to the front door. So he was isolating them. Yeah, so gradually everyone around me was being pushed out. But it would always, elements of truth would be used to make it make sense to me. So it manipulates, yeah. Um, And people often say, well, you know, how did you end up with someone like that? Why would you go out with someone like that? And I yeah. always say, when you go out with someone like that, you don't go on a date and they punch you in the face and then you it, go on another date. Yeah, they it, don't just <laughs> present to you like that. It absolutely isn't like that. It's a very gradual process. Um, and I think at the beginning of any relationship, obviously you've got two separate people with different yeah. backgrounds who have to learn to compromise with each other. Yeah. And that's a natural, healthy thing to do. Uh-huh. But when it's one person always compromising yeah. and the other person always dictating, then the balance shifts. And I think as well, because I'd also had, you know, this thing in my mind of maybe it's me. Maybe I need to sacrifice more. We always look to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought, well, maybe I'm this overly confident person that men find it hard to deal with. So I gradually, it was a bit like the taming of the shrew. Maybe it's me. So I'll start to, you know, 
compromise more but and lose became, a bit of your identity I really did like yeah. massively and confusing time because when you're pregnant because you kind of are crazy and emotional anyway you could burst into tears you could become angry for no reason yeah so this is the time when your partner's supposed to become more understanding and really nurture you and go gentle with you yeah and he was actually doing the very opposite yeah and but not all the time and that is the other significant thing when I'm talking to people when we're doing trainings and it's other victims and things People have to remember that when you're in that sort of relationship, generally the perpetrator of abuse is not abusive 100% of the time. No, never. Because otherwise they wouldn't have reason to keep you yeah. there. They will present themselves. You know, It's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. And they make you feel guilty and yeah. you feel like such a nasty person. So then you start to think, well, if I behave differently, then I'll see more of the nice side mm-hmm. and less of the nasty side. Because they give you the glimmers of hope that yeah. this could be so good if you just understood me and helped me and were patient with me. Yeah. But and it, of, yeah. of course, then they somehow also have this ability to present themselves as the victim. Mm. Um, and it all came to a head, really, when I went into early labour. And How um, early was it? I was about 27 and a half weeks pregnant oh, when I God. went into labour. Wow. They kept me in early labour for 10 days. So for five days, I was put on the sort of anti-labour drugs. And for five days, I contracted every five minutes. Goodness. And for five days, I contracted every two minutes. Mm-hmm. And I was in excruciating pain. Yeah. So eventually... Um, I go into labour and they said, right, we've got to take you down for a C-section. We've got to give you blood transfusions first. And um, it all kicks off that night. So It's really serious stuff. It really was. And, that on board and-, and then actually they start talking about, well, you know, there could be complications and there could be this and their lungs and their brain and their eyes and their sight and their hearing. And you just go, wow. And I remember... You can't really take it on board. No. It's like, like, wow, OK, this is going to be like a really serious time. Um, when the babies were born, Toby was £3.1. My goodness, that's tiny. Yeah. And yeah. Chloe was £2.12. Oh, little and, dots. Yeah, tiny little yeah. dots. And um, they were put into um, special care. And Chloe was born with chronic lung disease because mm-hmm. her lungs just weren't mature enough. So she was ventilated initially. Toby was put on um, a CPAP machine, which helps his breathing. Um, but his, So they were taken away from They were straight taken away. straight away. Did you have skin on skin? No, nothing. No. Did they you breastfeed them? Couldn't. They couldn't, couldn't even yeah. suckle to start with. They were tube fed. Oh, my goodness. Um, How traumatic for you. It really was. And your partner had been at the birth? Yes. Yeah, C-section um, birth in yeah. theatre, right. But acting one minute, Mr. Nurturing, Caring Dad, the mm-hmm. next minute, getting upset about something and, again, feeling like I'm on edge Mm. through the whole time. Um, So it comes to a head and I thought, why won't... He wouldn't hold Toby. Right. He wouldn't even stand to have a photo taken while I held Toby. What was his reasoning? He didn't say. He just wouldn't do it. And I found this quite strange. Um, So I go... He wheels me in a wheelchair back up to my room and I thought, we need to address why he's not happy to hold the babies, you know. Now I'm thinking... Maybe he's feeling a bit useless because I know a lot of dads mm, feel that way anyway. Yeah. They, you know, and that's understandable because they're kind of not able to be part of the experience in the same that's way, true. obviously, yeah. as the, the mum and all the doctors running around. Yeah. Um, so I tried to approach the subject and then gradually it turned around into how it was my fault the babies had come early. What, and he actually said that yeah. to you? Oh my, you're postnatal, you're yeah. so vulnerable, you're so, oh, you could be having all kinds of internal thought process. And I just know. remember thinking, I can't deal with this now. What did you say when he said that to you? I said, I can't deal with this now, I need you to go home I need you to go I need to sleep if you can't be strong for me don't be present and that's how I felt I just felt like I 
have got to be strong for two babies yeah, right now. You can't deal with that. I shit. can't deal with that. Mm. And so I was just like, I just need you to go. And he said, Well, I'm not going anywhere because I love you. And I said, Well, look, I need you to go. And if you won't go, I'm going to ask someone to ask you to go because I could feel that yeah. he's starting to build up to this Tension. telling me off. And and I just thought I can't deal with it tonight. Yeah. Um, You're too fragile. I was. You, I'd gone through birth. ten days where I'd basically not slept. And insane. separated from your children. Separated you've been carrying from my older boys, from the yeah. children downstairs. I just had this C-section, so I'm in pain as well. And I just thought I just need. Just a moment to myself. And also sleep. You need to heal and yeah. sleep, you know. And um, I went to actually turn around to go to the bathroom. And the next thing I knew was he screamed no. He grabbed my arm and oh. pulled me back across the bed, which nearly ripped my C-section I was just going to say, this is, in, you know, I had C-section 11 months ago. And that's giving me, like, twisty feeling in my scar. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, I felt... No, but obviously this was my third C-section. <sighs> So as he pulled me back, it literally felt it like jerked. I was pulling in half. Mm-hmm. And then I felt a slap across my face. The way, the only way I can describe it was like a child losing their temper and punching a cushion. And he just pummeled my face into the bed from above. So he's holding one arm back. And just with his other hand, he just punched and punched into my face. Um, I'd never been hit in the face like that before. Mm. And I remember feeling like a heaviness in my head. Yeah, I But know. it was like the adrenaline took over. And I remember feeling like I was going to black out and thinking, yeah. if I don't move, he's going to kill me. Because yeah. he just flipped. And I just thought, I've got to get out of this. I've got... And I remember it was like a, a strange thing where it happened very fast, but it almost felt like a hugely slow motion thing as yeah, well. Yeah, it's such a contradiction, isn't it? It really is. Did and it feel not real because it was so yeah. unlikely to be real? Yeah, like, because how could it be I real? just, whatever had happened before that, I... I don't know if it was denial or what, but I just couldn't believe as it was happening that it was happening to me. Yeah. It was almost like an out-of-body experience where you go, this can't be happening. Because in that moment, there is some glimmer of my life's just changed forever. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Now, the problem was the nurse had heard screaming, but of course I'm on a maternity ward. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't So even, they think yeah. someone's gone into labour. They don't come to me because I've already had the babies. Yeah. So they walk past my room to go and see. I wonder if he knew all that. I wonder if he was strategic. And I, To this day, we'll never know. But the strange thing is when she walked in, I was kind of trying to just gabble like, oh, my God, what's happened? And she's saying, what's happened? What's happened? And he just sort of threw his hands up in the air sort of pointed her towards me, walked around the bed, picked mm. up his bag, walked out of the room, 
waited for the elevator. Oh, so he didn't deny it. No, no he's collected. And, yeah. and I remember being like the babies because I thought now, oh, my God, if he's flipped like that at me, is he going to go, go and unplug and kill them? them? Yeah. Like, what is going to happen? So they call security to the special care unit. So you told the nurse, he's yeah. just attacked me. And uh, he, by all accounts, from what I can figure out, while I then, the police were sent and I then had to have x-rays done and I had to have all sorts of checks done and had to give a statement. In the meantime, he had left the hospital in the car, called the police and said, you need to arrest me, I've attacked my wife. I used to think it was that part of him knew that he had done something wrong, but then part of me started to think over time that actually it was far more strategic than that. And control, like, yeah. I, I won't let you have one over on me, I'll tell them, yeah. I'll control this situation, I'll control everything about you yeah. and everything about this. So he drove back to his parents' house and waited to be arrested. I, and are his parents disgusted or are they Well, uh, the next thing I knew was they turned up um, at the hospital a few days later and couldn't believe that he'd done such a thing. And That you had physical injuries to prove it. Oh, I mean, I had a broken jaw. And um, my teeth had gone through my lip and I had where his wedding ring was, it had hit onto my cheek. So he'd hit my left cheek over and over and it knocked my jaw and broken the right side of my jaw because it pushed my face out. I remember even not being able to say my name because of my jaw. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time, um, my, my name, my surname was Munis Army and I lived in Bourganvillia Drive. <laughs> So I remember trying to say to the policeman, I was like, well, drive. And as awful as it was, I was like almost laughing at the same time because it's I was like, so ridiculous. oh my God, I can't yeah. even say my name and address. Um, so how did you leave? You left hospital with these twins alone? I The twins stayed in hospital for two months. Oh my so gosh. I stayed in hospital for another two weeks. Now, I couldn't drive because I'd had the C-section. So I now had my two older children in Essex. I'm stuck in Northampton. The Home babies, your babies. Babies are somewhere else. They were like a good half-hour cab journey away. Mm-hmm. Because of what happened, I had to give up my theatre school overnight. Of course. Yeah. So I now thought, oh, my God, I've got no income. And everything you'd worked for. And everything, everything that defined you. As yeah, the everything had gone. Were. That was it. Yeah. And That's hard in itself, isn't it? Yeah. And I'd been put on a liquid-only diet because of my jaw. So I'm trying to now produce milk for two babies. And I'm on a liquid-only diet. And I think I went down to about six and a half stone. And you're postnatal. Postnatal. I've now got a court case going on. Did you get postnatal depression? I bizarrely didn't. And I think somehow I was like... I've got to get through this for mm. these kids. I have to get through it for the kids. Yeah. And You're kind of built of like grit, steel, <laughs> iron. Somehow. <laughs> it's so strange though because I think when you go through something, sometimes you have to learn to just numb certain feelings to survive, to mm. go through. Like disconnect can be an effective coping mechanism. So we went into court. Um, he'd pled guilty. He had no criminal record before that. There was no evidence of him ever doing it before that. Well, maybe no one had reported him. Yeah. It doesn't um, mean he hadn't done it. Exactly. Yeah. But there was no evidence of it. And um, it appeared like he'd had... He kept talking like about he didn't remember sort of moments of it happening and he'd gone taken himself to a doctor, gone to anger management, appeared to be doing all the things like, oh, my God, I've had this moment and it's not OK. How do I heal myself? So you were still taking the witness stand, though? You weren't put I didn't. I, I didn't have to because he'd pled guilty oh, I see. and course, then what yeah. happened they were about to um put recommendations in for sentencing and the judge said i'd like to speak to mrs moonis army because she's the victim and i want to know how it's going to impact her and again this is one of the things i talk about when i push for 
training with judges and things. The questions he asked me, I answered honestly. Mm-hmm. Has he ever physically attacked you like that before? No, he hadn't. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you feel about moving forward? And I said, well, you know, I, I think he needs help because this can't carry on like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to recognise, the reason I'd press charges, I had to recognise whatever happened, that's not okay. Yeah. Um, and I remember talking about, he said to me, how will you survive financially with the babies and the boys? And I said, I don't know. And how how many months post-birth was this? So I gave birth at the end of February and this was in the April. Oh, my God. So um, he journey. said to me, how are the babies? And I said, they're still in hospital. And he said, what will happen to you if your husband goes to prison? And I said, I don't know. Because I didn't. And um, basically, after speaking to me and after getting the character references and obviously there was no previous conviction, no previous charges, previous arrest, nothing... The judge said, I'm going to put you on a suspended sentence um, and you'll have to attend a domestic abuse programme. Did you have mixed feelings or were you let down? I think at the time I felt I probably convinced myself and unfortunately tried to, again, through coping, think this isn't going to happen again. He says it's not going to happen again. Mm. He's sorry for it. I get why you... Because you weren't just thinking about you, you were thinking about the bigger picture of the family and the children. And and... obviously then social services got involved because there were children involved. And I had to sign a piece of paper agreeing that if he attacked me, I would report it. And he had to sign a piece of paper saying he wouldn't attack me again. Sounds like a formal (laughs) business meeting, It really was, like, bizarre. And then uh, that was kind of as far as they got involved at the time. That's kind of to cover their backs, don't yeah. you think? Like, we've ticked this box, exactly. we've done this. It was really how the whole process was. It was all tick box type stuff. Yeah. So, is... so you had to go back. You got back together yeah. with Stephen. And what happened? Um, over the next couple of months, it was really super stressful as well. So because... it didn't start off, because I know when you get back, then they're good for Oh, yeah, he bit. was, you know, going to his programme. And compared to what just happened, he mm-hmm. was, you know super Mr Nice and still acted strangely sometimes but I also put that down to that he was quite he always appeared to be a little bit OCD to me that he Mm -hmm. needed things done in a certain way obsession with controlling yeah but again I didn't really necessarily recognize the coercive side of it Mm -hmm. then but then Chloe had problems with her breathing went back into hospital a couple of times then Toby got pneumococcal meningitis and I nearly lost him. So wow. basically the first six and a half months of their lives, they were in and out of hospital for mm-hmm. the whole time. So you kind of were just existing. It wasn't, yeah. like, it wasn't like when you you know, you know go to your tumble tots and you go to your, oh, your no. coffees and coffees this with the other like mums. This was like taking shifts and going to hospital. One would be in hospital with Chloe. Mm-hmm. The other one was home with Toby. Then trying to figure out taking Jack or Charlie to school mm-hmm. or nursery and then swapping over and then trying to figure out somebody else being there. It was just like this, like you say, existing mm-hmm. and trying to deal with another level of stress. Um, mm-hmm. Then I found out not long after that that I was having Rosie and it was when I was a few months pregnant with Rosie that it started again. Right. So definitely pregnancy was a It's jealousy then. Do you think it's jealousy of like you're not going to be your undivided attention on him? I don't even know. I know know obviously now that pregnancy is one of the major triggers in domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, But he also at the same time wasn't happy even after I had Rosie didn't want me to go on birth control and I remember being super scared when he found out I'd gone back on the pill one night so it's such a contradiction he doesn't want you to prevent pregnancy but when you're pregnant he becomes well that became another thing that was like well you can't even have children naturally you can't even do what a woman's supposed to do so he was trying to destroy yourself yeah just everything yeah Um, and then I've I think Rosie was 11 weeks, well, a few weeks old initially and the attack started again. I had a couple of incidents in a row 
And one of which they? was in front of his parents. And um, they watched him smash my head into a wall. Um, Look how you even labelled it incident. It's not an incident. It's a, it's a, it's a horrendous attack. It's a violent yeah, attack. it is. Yeah. But it became another incident in the house a because normality. that was normal. So what was the turning point then to get to finally... I think... Uh, there had been an incident, I say incident, again, it just became incidents after incidents where he... Because incident is like when you get a flat tyre. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've had an incident with I think, my car. Do you know what I it? think it is? It's because it's, it became a legal process. Yeah. And that's how it's referred. Yeah, the police so report is on an incident. that incident, yeah. what happened, and obviously over the years, that's how I've got used to referring to it. It's it. just, yeah. and of course, that's actually something that most victims do anyway. Is you actually do downplay it because yeah. you've normalised it at some point. Mm. But um, I just remember he had flipped and smashed up a table and all sorts. And I was in the garden, and he'd called me in, and I thought, oh my god, the kids are upstairs, and. I just thought, I've got to get out of this. I've got to get out of this. Because I knew one day he's going to flip mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be here. Yeah. That will be it. And there'll be fatal consequences. And one morning um, I was due to meet my friend who was pregnant for coffee before she went into hospital. And he was kind of like, I'm leaving. I'm no good. And was doing this whole blah yeah, again. Yeah. And I said, OK. And he said, take the babies with you. Now, one of the things he used to do was he'd be like, well, I'll take the boys to school. You stay home with the babies. You take the boys to school. I'll stay home with the babies. Mm. So I was... Very rarely out of the house on my own with all of the kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, so rarely. Mm. So it made it that I always had to go home. Mm-hmm. This day, when I was taking the boys to school and nursery, he said, just take the babies with you. I'm leaving. And I said, OK. And I just picked up the nappy bag. It was your moment. And I just put them in the car. And I had yeah. no idea what I was going to do. And no I belongings. Went, Nothing. I just went, OK. And off I went. Dropped the kids to school and nursery. And sat in my car with three babies. I had an 11-week-old and two one-year-olds. Did you have all your formula and stuff? I had probably a couple of bottles. They were still yeah. in, like, their pyjamas. I just yeah. put them in the car. And but this I, is how women leave. They and don't I just, pack. No, I just sat and went, what do I do? And I remember just holding the steering wheel. And my friend walked over to the car. And she said to me, what on earth is wrong with you? And suddenly I just broke down. And that was when, for the first time in a long time... I started to say what had been going on since the attack in the hospital. Mm. I called the police that day. He was arrested. Um, I gave a two-hour statement, Mm -hmm. which I signed off. Had to go and pick up my son from nursery in the police car. It was just this horrendous thing. And then when I got back, his sister and my brother-in-law were there. Then I got back to my house with the kids and his dad was there. And I remember his dad saying, oh, Becky, what have you done? Well, you've caused so much tassel. Yeah, yeah I could. I and I was like, OK. Um, I'd been told, put the kids to bed, get settled. He's going to be mm. kept overnight. The next thing I know is I get a phone call from the police and he's been let out. And because we have a shared residence, you know, we both share the lease on the house, they can't stop him from coming home. And I have now got five children in bed and I'm like a sitting duck. And I thought, oh, my God. Um, they said, we've advised him to stay at his parents. But we can only advise. We can only advise. Yeah. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. Um, so he, good luck to you. Yeah, good yeah. luck. Uh, yeah. And I remember him calling. And Did they say to you, oh, he, he's unlikely to approach you? That's what they, they didn't say. say anything. They just oh. said, we've advised him to stay at his... And he's denied everything. Mm. So I actually called his sister and brother-in-law back over... Um, and then he called me and said, oh, I'm in the car with my dad. Shall I come over? And I said, mm. well, maybe we should wait till tomorrow morning, just have a night apart and, uh, you know, then we'll take it from there. Because mm. I knew if I said don't come home, the first thing he was going to do was come home. Mm-hmm. So um, 
that night I had to call the boys' dads and I asked them, it was the week before the summer holiday, I said, can you take the boys for a week extra? Mm. I called my sister to come from Essex and I took the babies to Essex. The boys went to their dads for the week and I got orders put in place. So um, wow. I got a non-molestation order and I got residency ex parte for the, um, child, the youngest three. And then I went back to court two days later and he had to be there so I could get an occupation order to make him move out of the house. And there was that fighting spirit back. Yeah. And no I matter was, what he'd done to you, you were still yeah. fighting, you know. And I was like, this can't carry on. Um, then, within the next couple of weeks, he approached the family court for contact with the three babies. Of course he did, yeah. So I was pulled back into it again. I never lived with him again, but yeah. I basically had to stay in the situation of the relationship from a distance because now the court granted contact they to did. be supervised in a contact centre no by his parents at their house oh my god so do the children know what happened do they ask you yes they do do, do you talk about it yeah then? I do yeah. I'm very honest I mean obviously I don't go into graphic gruesome detail no but, but they're, they're aware. very aware um, they are all very aware that that sort of behaviour from anyone to anybody else is not acceptable in life mm-hmm. the saddest thing was my little boy Toby when he was about five or six and he'd started school he said to me, Mum, was my dad Stephen born evil? Mm, that's so such a difficult and situation. And I said, Well your dad isn't evil. He I always explained it to them when they were young that mm. you know, when you get a poorly tummy and it makes you feel icky and nasty, mm. I said, Well, unfortunately your dad Stephen has a poorly head and it makes him do bad things because as a child that was the only way I could think of mm-hmm. trying to you know, give an analogy that they might understand. understand yeah. And I said, um, I don't know that he was born that way. And I said, why did you ask that? And my son said, because I don't want to grow up to be like that. How insightful. Yeah. And I said, well, then you won't because you know that that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Already at such a young age. I definitely would not let you act that way. So, Do you think looking back, things might have been different if you'd have been taught more in school about domestic violence? Yes. And that's why I feel so strongly about raising awareness and... The education within schools mm. and within the system, mm. because I feel like there, for some reason, it's one of those. It's one of the only crimes that we can actually prevent from happening mm-hmm. because we understand the patterns of it. Yeah, and the psychology, and we know the psychology of it. Yeah, we know. Okay, this is likely to happen in this situation. Yeah. But yet, for some reason, their knowledge is there, but it's, it's not being slow. applied. Mm-hmm. There's still that gap. As yeah, well. it's and not bridging. you know, it's great that we've now got a law against coercive control mm-hmm. in this country. It's that is groundbreaking. Officially. Yeah, um, because for the first time, you can actually report these things, and it can lead to a conviction. Yeah. Whereas before, you just couldn't. You couldn't. And you're you're and crazy. You're, you're a bunny crazy. Boiler. And well, you're he's not actually hit you. So yeah. come back when you've been injured. Um, and now, you know. It is being recognised, but the training, I still think, isn't it, there. It, it lacks, yeah. yeah. So you are the, you are a true survivor in that you've come back more than once, bigger and better and stronger. Um, and I suppose this kind of, you know, you're a positive person, you're a happy person, and you're successful. You've got your singing and acting career. Yeah. And I guess in a way it's, it's an outlet, isn't it? You're delivering something beautiful to the world. Yeah, I just feel talent. like... Um, it's been really nice to go back after having a break to something that you love to do. Yeah. And to be able to... And to have that confidence. Yeah, yeah. To, to build your confidence again and to come back at something with fresh eyes. Yeah. I feel like even, you know, just being able... Just doing one show sometimes, I feel like, wow. 
I get to do what I love. So renewed. Yeah, it yeah, is renewed. So and when you're younger, maybe sometimes you take that for granted. Yeah. And do. I feel like there's this new sense, a new perspective when I do it. And I'm really appreciative and grateful for the opportunities mm-hmm. I get now. I, I feel that. I feel like gratitude from you. You have like really good vibe and you have. Oh, a, thank a, you. A, yeah, it's really <laughs> nice. It's a lovely atmosphere to be around. Thank you. But one thing that struck me was. Um, one of the things that I admired about you before I met you was that, you know, BGT is a big show, a big audience, live studio audience, as well mm-hmm. as all the viewers. And you did stand up there and you said to everyone that you'd been in an abusive marriage, which is a really hard thing to do. And the audience was shocked. Yeah, I know. Do you think it's because we think a certain person? Or, I absolutely look, think, or? I think there is just this, again, I don't know if it's like our British stiff upper lip sort of thing that still exists somewhere yeah but I did see a couple of comments where you know it'd come up why would she talk about that abuse in front of her children and I thought wow okay you don't understand that they live through it too yeah, she was probably punched <laughs> in the face in front of her children yeah you know yeah. that's and again rather than getting angry at the person for thinking that I always try and think okay now it's my job to explain mm why I can do that and why it's important that I do that. But the reaction to to you coming out on that platform was very positive. And do you think that's because we don't realise how many abused men and women walk among us and a lot of people, you know, we're hearing this me too hashtag. Do you think a lot of people that day on BGT looked at you and were like, yeah, me too? And it might not have got to the physical extent. There might be people at the moment going through a controlling pattern and it might have helped them feel some kind of unity and take away that isolation. And, and, you know, you're sat here before me, you've made it. You're here to tell me the story and it has an uplifting ending. So it is a sign of hope. You know, I suppose for me, I always want to know at the end of the podcast, what's your take home? What's your message to other people? And some people might be listening and it hasn't got as far as your situation got. Like what would be your message? I think for me, when I went out there and I said, you know, that's that's one of the reasons that it took me some time to come back to this. Yes, I was in an abusive relationship. Why shouldn't I say that? Mm. I didn't do anything wrong. It's not shameful. It isn't. Yeah. And that's also, for me, one of the huge things. Like, we need to take the shame and the victim blaming out of it. I know. We need to understand that actually the people who abuse and who are perpetrating the abuse mm-hmm. are the ones to blame. Mm-hmm. They should be the ones taken out of the equation. It shouldn't always be put on the victim. Mm. So for me, to stand up, I thought, well, people do have this idea that you know, when I'm on stage singing and smiling away, mm. oh, you must have this perfect, glamorous life. life. They will be jealous of actually, you. Actually, yeah. you know what? I'm just a normal person. Yeah. And you're an extraordinary person. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes we all have like our cost to bear in life, I think, in different ways. Some people go through terrible illnesses. Some people go through and survive attacks. Some people have to deal with bereavements or financial loss. We all have something in our life. So true. And it's... I truly believe it's how you deal with what's thrown at you Mm -hmm. rather than letting it eat you up. Mm -hmm. It's not what happens to you that defines you it's how you deal with it you know I feel like we've been on a roller coaster of I felt flabbergasted and some of the stuff you said I it's just unbelievable and then I felt like elated and high and happy for you oh thank um, you so yeah it's, it's really well we're here amazing. to tell the tale and the kids are doing super well and there is lots of exciting stuff on the horizon and you're singing and I'm singing yeah. and I'm about to move to New York and oh it's my super gosh, exciting I got yes. you before you immigrated just before That's literally true. just before so it's wow. super exciting and um so working yeah. out in New York, yeah, yeah? Um, that's cool. I got remarried in January, oh, and lovely. my that's an interesting conversation right. because my husband is um, actually a defence attorney. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> so God, we have lots don't... of interesting conversations. Okay. Yeah, it's just you know life has. Don't get me wrong, I have times where 
actually sometimes I do feel wow that that happened to me mm. and I went through PTSD for a while afterwards of course, yeah. and one of the things actually by working as ambassador for women's aid doing these talks was I had the opportunity to sometimes stand up in a room full of social workers or a room full of lawyers and say actually today I don't feel okay Mm, and that's okay to not be okay yeah because why should I be okay with somebody that did that to me yeah I am allowed to be angry and I am allowed to be upset. And that's part of he- And it's your part past. of healing. Yeah. I feel like you're doing such valuable work um through the women's aid work. So thank you. Um it's so selfless because it can't always be easy to use your own personal experience yeah. to try and help others. Sometimes, like you said, there's days maybe when you don't want to address that and talk about it. And there must be days when it can still feel raw. Yeah. So thank you no, for everything yeah. you do. It's I just really hope amazing. it like, helps somebody yeah. out there. So. This episode, I think, is going to touch so many people um, who might be in a very different situation to the one we are sat here in today talking about. So thank, thank you. you so much. It's been Thanks, great Katie. to have you as a guest. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, I'm talking to Kelly Maloney, who found fame as a successful boxing promoter, Frank Maloney. After struggling with her gender her whole life, she publicly came out as transgender in 2014 and is now helping to promote greater awareness and understanding of transgender issues. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.